Welcome to church. It's so great to see all of you here today. Are you enjoying this beautiful weather that God has finally looked upon us and smiled here in Columbus, Ohio? I want to greet everybody who's tuning in from wherever around the world. We're honored to have you with us. And today is a really special day for me and for two reasons primarily. Uh, first and foremost, today is my mom's birthday, the one who gave me life. And so I just want to look in the camera and say, happy birthday, mom. Just, and um, I thank you for helping me uh, look like the best son that she's ever had in that moment. And today is also a special day for me as we're going to kick off a brand new message series that happens to also share the same title as that of my book that is coming out real soon called Scary Faith. I'm, uh, I'm really excited just to be able to share this story with all of you. The book's coming out in May, May 17th, and so we're going to take the next several weeks just to talk about um, really the journey that I've been on in my faith. You, you know what I discovered about faith is that it is more of a journey than just a thing. And I, I've learned a lot of things, a lot of times by messing up, but I've discovered a lot of things about faith in my journey of following Jesus. And so this book really kind of walks through some of the things that he has shown me. And it's my hope and prayer that it would light a fire in your life for what God is calling you to do in your journey of faith. Here's what I know that there are so many things that want to hold us back. And my hope is that through this series, through this book, maybe as God speaks to you, that you would be able to overcome fear and step into the life you never imagined that God has for you. Can I just tell you, I believe that God has more for you. Like, I, I don't know, maybe you're going, man, life is so great, it's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Please hear me. I actually think God has more for all of us. And I really believe that, that God has created us with a thirst or an appetite for adventure. He's created something inside of us where, where we long for more. We long for a purpose and a story. I, I know this because I see it, especially in all of us when we're little. And I remember what it was like when I was a kid just growing up. Um, I was somebody that had a vivid imagination. Did anybody here have a vivid imagination as a kid? Raise your hand if you did. How many of you um, could play, like me, I could play for hours outside with just some sticks and some dirt in a tree, and I could have a make-believe world where I had to come and step in and rescue the damsel in distress. I don't know what your, don't know what your world was like, but I had to be the hero of my world. I don't know if any of you ever had make-believe worlds that you created, but I did when I was a kid. And I don't know if you thought about what you wanted to be when you grew up one day. I, I know when you ask kids that question, you hear professions that they admire, like, I want to be a police officer, or, you know, to, pr to protect and to serve. I want to be a firefighter. I want to run into the fire and rescue cats. I'm going to, and people, and, or, or I want to be a veterinarian. Every kid at some point wants to be a veterinarian in life or a doctor. I want to save people. That's what most people wanted to be, not me. You know what I wanted to be when I was growing up? A ninja. Some of you thought of some of you thought I was going to say pastor. Nope, this was the last thing on my list. I wanted to be a ninja. I love Bruce Lee. 
I was inspired by it. And so I remember I would spend hours playing outside in this make-believe world where bad guys had taken over and I was the only one to rescue. And so I would climb trees and where bad guys would, would just wander underneath with just didn't even know I was there because I was stealthily in black as a ninja. I would jump out of the tree. Yeah, yeah, and I would just start... Did any of you do that or am I the only one? Okay, it's, I would take out the bad guys. I would save the world. And I, I wanted this so badly that as I got old enough, I asked my parents if I could buy some throwing stars. Do you, you know what those are? Those are the things the ninjas have in their suit and they go, and they kill people. I was like, can I buy throwing stars? And forever my parents were like, no, no, no. Finally, I got old enough and I was like, can I buy throwing stars? And they're like, that's fine. Under one, there's just, we have one rule. Don't throw them at people. I was like, but that's the point of it. Okay, so I got these throwing stars and I pretended every tree was a person. And I would, and it, can I just tell you, they never stuck, by the way. Those things don't work. It's all Hollywood. Don't even act like you can do it, Russ. Oh, gosh. Anyways, Pastor Russ and I, I think we both had the same dream growing up. But you know what's interesting? Like, when you think back to that time, I just want you to go back to maybe when you were younger. and You think back to the, to the fact that you, you could envision worlds that did not exist. You could believe and, and make up things that, that you wanted to be true. And here's what I know about all of us when we were little if somebody were to ask us, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? My guess is that none of us said, well, I want to climb my way up the ladder to middle management. No. One day I hope I can work with some numbers and get a corner office in a building downtown. There's nothing wrong with that. That'd be great, right? Or, or one day I just want to, I want to, you know, be at a point where I could take a vacation to Europe. No, we don't. We, don't. we think, man, I want to, I want to, I want to rescue people. I want to find cures for diseases. I, I want to change the world. There's something inside of us where we have this, we're drawn to make a difference, are we not? I want a story worth telling. You remember that growing up. But can I ask you a question? I just want you to think about this because we rarely do. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? I mean, your parents didn't teach you to create worlds like that and make believe. Where, where did it come from? You see, it's interesting when we think about what it was like being a kid, we, we had such an imaginative mind. We were so creative. We were always creating. And, and when, you, when I ask you, where does it come from? Maybe your first reaction, and this is what we often say, oh, that's, that's just being a kid. I mean, that's what kids do, right? Kids make believe. Kids can sit at a small table with a teapot and some little cups and there's nothing inside of them, but you can have a tea party for an hour, right? Some of you did that. It's like some of you had make-believe friends. Did any of you have make-believe friends? And maybe you even made mom make a seat for them at the table because this was your make-believe friend. We, we could dream up things. Where does that come from? Because when I look at all of creation, I find something unique and that is that we are the only species that does that. I mean, we're pretty sure that giraffes don't sit around in, the, in, the, in the, the, the wilderness. They don't sit around in the desert dreaming up worlds they wish they could create. 
I doubt it. We, we never think about like hippopotamuses and the hippos are, are thinking one day I want to grow up to be a doctor hippo so I can heal people that have hippo diseases. <laughs> right? I mean, we're the only species that does this. What does that mean? Could I get you just to think for just a moment that maybe it's that something is innate. It's inside of all of us from the very littlest time that we're alive that there's something wired inside of you and me that has a desire to create. And is it possible that that desire to create is because you were made in the image of your creator? See, when God created mankind in Genesis 1, he said, let us make mankind in our image. And in the image of God, he made them male and female. What does that mean? It means that the creator has put something inside of you that would enable you to visualize, to create a future that does not exist. What if, what if, I'm just, just go with me on this. What if the creator, the capital C creator, made you and me to be creators? Well, I just live in this world that God created. Okay, then you just exist. But could it be possible that the creator actually created you to create? Like what, what if in the narrative we find in Genesis where, where God gets done making mankind and obviously he must be so worn out, so tired of all the creating that he had been doing day after day. He must have been so exhausted that as soon as he got done making mankind, he said, I need a break, I'm taking a day off. Right on the seventh day he rested, and then there's no more. And so because of that, you know what we say? Well, humans must be the pinnacle of God's creation. Or could I suggest that maybe what God was doing was he got to the point where he said, I'll take the creative mind and spirit, the very thing that I have, and I will put it inside of the human beings that I've created. Now I don't need to create because I created you to create. Some of you are going, I'm not sure about this, Pastor. I'm going to challenge you to think a little deeper. What if God created you and me to create a future that doesn't exist? What if the reason why when you were little you dreamt of a world where you had a story to live out, where you had a purpose to experience, what if that's not just make-believe? I mean, I know it's fun when we're little, but what if it's actually tied to a deeper truth, and that is that God has created you and me to create to envision, to step into something that we cannot see with our eyes. You see, I, I really believe that God put some unique desires, some unique appetites inside of human beings. We're the only ones that crave meaning and purpose. Animals don't sit around and go, gosh, man, I just don't know why I'm here. Just, I, I, I know I'm a bee, but what should I be doing? Mm. 
making honey is boring. I feel like I should do it. We are the only ones that have this appetite, this desire to find purpose and meaning in life, to live a story that is worth telling. I, I think about C.S. Lewis, the great theologian of the 20th century. To paraphrase him, he said it this way. He said, if maybe there is a, a, a desire inside of us for hunger, could it be that it's because there's the fulfillment of it in food? If there's a desire inside of you and me for relationship and connection, is it possible it points to this fact that we have something called love? If there's a thirst or an appetite inside of us for adventure, for a story that is worth living, is it possible that maybe it's because joy exists? And oh, by the way, is it possible that you and I have such a desire and a drive to find purpose and meaning in this life that it points to the fact that God has created you and me to create a future that doesn't yet exist for us to step into? Some of you don't seem very convinced. Because what happens, I found in life, is that we start off with so much vigor and energy, creating worlds, and, and then there's something about life that tends to beat that right out of us. Right? And what happens is that we get into our teens and our 20s and we have all the energy in the world. We're ready to conquer anything. And I find that the problem is that we tend to point that energy to satisfying all these desires in the wrong way. And we end up living the prodigal story rather than a purposeful story. And then one day we, we wake up in a pig pen. If you know the story of the prodigal. We wake up in a pig pen and you know what we say? One day we'll wake up, we go, how did I get here? I never saw my life looking like this. I wonder if some of you right now, in this moment, you've thought that about your life. How did I get here? This is never what I imagined my world would be. And I've discovered that we are so driven as we get into our 20s and we're so driven to settle down. That's like an achievement thing, you know? And parents want their kids to settle down because they're maybe being a little crazy, but I have found that there's such a, a drive for us to settle down that we end up not only settling down, but we end up settling for less. I just want to, and our dreams of making a difference, changing the world, turn into, I just want to make a living. I just want to make a good paycheck. I just want to have a nice house. I just want to get by. I just want to get to retirement. I just want to be able to enjoy golf. And I wanted this and and all of that stuff is great. I'm not against all that stuff. I love all that stuff. But can I just tell you, you were made for more. You and I were made for more. What if there is more to this life than just that? And I wonder if maybe one of the main reasons why Jesus stepped into our world, why he came was to restore humanity back to his purpose, to restore us not only back to God, but back to the very thing that God has created you and me to do. There's something in the human soul that is craving a story worth living in. In fact, that's kind of why I wrote Scary Faith. The story of Scary Faith is, is simply about that. It's about you and me discovering the very essence of what God created us to do. In fact, the book actually follows kind of a, a well-known today brash fisherman that maybe you've heard of 
we call him Peter, or he was known as Simon, before Jesus changed his name to Peter. And if you have your Bible with you today, as we kick this series off, I would love for you to open up and turn to Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we find a moment where this unsuspecting fisherman, just blue-collar, young guy who's just going about his life, ends up having an encounter with Jesus that changes his life forever. Luke chapter 5, in verse 1, it says this. One day, when Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a context because I think it's so easy, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus for years, to read the Bible kind of mechanical. You know, it's just a story. What am I getting out of this? No, this really happened. This is a moment in someone's life. And Peter was a fisherman, not just for hobby, but by trade. This is how he survived. This is how he fed his family. And so Peter would have come in off of the water, the Sea of Galilee, after working all night long trying to catch fish. See, back then, most fishermen would go out at night because out in the Middle East, it's really hot, and the fish go to the bottom because it's too hot to come up. And, and it, so they, at night, when it cools down, they come up to the surface, and that's where they try to eat. And so the fishermen knew this, and so they work night shift. I don't know if any of you work night shift, but... That is just, it's really hard on the body. Not only are you tired all the time and exhausted, but I want you to imagine the kind of work that Peter would do as he goes fishing at night. Some of us, when we picture fishing, you think about, oh yeah, we went deep sea fishing once. It was so great. They just took us out with the fish finder to where all the fish were, and we just cast our nine over there, and we just waited for the bobber to go, and then we just, and it was such a great experience. That's not what fishing was like back then. Back then, they didn't have fishing poles. They had fishing nets. They had nets that had weights tied all two of them. And they would heave these nets over these ropes over the side of the boat. And then as they would sink, they would pull and cinch the, the net back up, hoping to catch some of the fish. And then they would hoist it into the boat. And then they would dump it out. And then they would sort the fish. And then they would throw it over to the side. And they would do it again. I want you to imagine doing that hour after hour after hour all night long. Think about how exhausted, how tired you would be. And imagine as daybreak comes and you're finally like, okay, he'd been out there fishing all night, shift is over, and he's about to pull in when he sees a massive crowd of people. And that's not normal. Huge crowd of people and there's this guy that they're all focused on who's teaching them. Now, if that were me, after working all night and I'm tired, I'm hangry, I'm pretty annoyed to see all these people where I'm docking my boat. And so he pulls up and he gets out and he's cleaning his nets and he kind of hears in the background this rabbi's over there teaching. And in the middle of his sermon, he pauses, walks over and hops in Simon's boat. Can we all agree how rude this is? I mean, like, who do you think you are, you know? And he jumps into Simon's boat, looks at Simon and says, Simon, Hey, would you push out a little bit into the water and let me borrow your boat? Can I just borrow your boat for a moment? Now, I, I can imagine, like, Peter, he's respectful. 
You know, he knows like rabbis, teachers, they were one of the highest professions. So I'm sure he really respected this guy, Jesus, probably not met him before. And he's like, I imagine begrudgingly, he's like, fine. And so he pushes the boat out, maybe 20 feet, 30 feet into the water so that Jesus can finish his sermon. And so Jesus sits in his boat and he begins, now why would you do that? Well, this was a common thing to do because they would actually leverage the sound waves of their voice bouncing and reflecting off the surface tension of the water, and it would be like an amplifier. It was a microphone. And so Jesus, it was just, you know, a moment where he needed something, and he saw a boat, and he jumped into one. And so I can, I can picture, and here's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing Simon, who's washing his nets, and he's probably tired, and he was like, I wish this guy would get to the end. And, and while all this is happening, and then, then the keyboardist starts playing, And, and, or the guy on the lyre starts playing from the shore, and that's the cue to everybody that he's going to end real soon. And so Peter's getting excited. He's like, all right, okay. And as soon as Jesus wraps up his message and says amen, imagine Peter's like, oh, thank God. I just want to go home and go to bed, get this guy out of my boat. That's when Jesus looks at Peter, and he said something to him. Look at, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. When he had finished speaking, that's Jesus, he said to Simon, now let's go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Oh, really? So now I, I need you to realize what this was like for Peter. I mean, imagine Peter who's thinking to himself, listen, rabbi, you're an expert teacher. I'm an expert fisherman. I've been out all night I'm pretty sure there are no fish in that lake. I'm just imagining all the thoughts going through Peter's mind. He's tired. He's been up all night. He just wants to go home, get something to eat, go to bed, try to sleep. I just want to do that. And I'm sitting here listening to you preach, and then you get done, and now you want to charter a private fishing excursion out in Lake. Are you kidding me? This, this is imagine what this would have been going in my mind if I were Peter. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think that the first thing that probably crossed Peter's mind was, dude, this makes no sense. None. It makes no sense at all. I was just out there. I've been out there all night, okay, empty. This makes no sense. And you know what I've discovered about life and about following Jesus? That much of following Jesus won't make sense. Please hear me today. Those of you who go, I, I, I follow Jesus. I'm so glad. Can I just tell you something? Because some of you might be here or you might be watching this and you're like, I'm not sure about Christianity. I'm just, someone, you know, sent me this link and said, you should watch this. Or you, Can I just tell you something maybe even before you even consider it? So much of following Jesus will not make sense. Please understand that. So what do you mean? Well, I don't know. Jesus taught things like, hey, if somebody hurts you, forgive them. Well, but they didn't say they were sorry. I don't care. Forgive them. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't care. Forgive them. How many times? I don't know. 70 times 7? Well, this makes no sense. They get away with and I'm supposed to forgive. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that Jesus invites those who follow him to do that make no sense at all. I mean, I mean think about this. Um, 
Jesus said one time, he said, if somebody sues you for your shirt. Now, I know we wouldn't do that, but back then, maybe that's all they had. If someone sues you for your shirt, give them your coat. Why would I do that? This doesn't make sense. Or, or how about this? Um, he said this, if someone says mean and negative things about, what if somebody posts something and you know that subliminally that they're really making a dig at me or there's that, I, I know that they're talking about me behind my back and they gossip. Yeah, I know. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them. They hate me. I know. Now I not only want you to pray for them, I want you to bless them. Oh, heck no. Oh, no, no, no. Or, or how about this one? This is one that a lot of us in following Jesus, when we hear this, we kind of we push back. Where we see all through Scripture, God calls us to give him the first fruits of our increase. That we would take a tithe, 10% of all that comes in that God blesses us with, that we work hard for too, and that we would give it to God for advancing his kingdom through the church. Now, I know there's a lot of you that heard that and go, oh, no, 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 you don't know how much money I make. I, don't, I know. It could be a lot. I'm supposed to give? That makes no sense. We won't have enough. That makes no sense. I remember one particular evening when I was, when I was a kid, my parents called for a family meeting. And I don't know if you guys ever had family meetings, but there's nothing worse than when you're a kid and your parents call for a family meeting. And, uh, but this one wasn't bad. They, they sat us down and I don't even know if they remember this, but I've never forgotten it. They said, we, we want you to know about our finances. Moms and dads, if, if you've never probably had a conversation with your kids about finances, it's probably good to do it. They said they were working for a church. My dad was a pastor. My mom would serve with him. A small church did not make a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money. I mean, we, were, we were good, but we just didn't have a lot. And they said, Here's how much we make, and here are all the bills to live, the house and the insurance and the food and the clothes and school stuff, you know, all those things you don't think about when you're a kid. And they said, here's what we want you to know. Our bills are larger than our income every month. But we trust God so much that we give to God a tithe off of all of our increase. And my parents were so generous that they gave to missionaries. They supported other things above and beyond that. And they said, the reason why we're telling you this is because we want you to understand God has always provided for us every single month. We have never gone without. We are not going into debt. And here's what we want you to know. It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. We don't know how, but God still does it. And it was almost as if they were trying to show me that to follow Jesus requires faith. It requires faith. And so in this moment where Jesus looks at Peter, he says, let's go fishing. And Peter probably doesn't want to, and you can tell a little bit by his response. In fact, I love it. Verse 5, here's what Peter says. Simon says, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, fine. We'll let down the nets again. See, I read it that way. I don't know how you read it, but I pick up a little bit of attitude in Peter's response. Did you get it? I mean, he's respectful. Master, 
But, but he does one of those things. You ever do this where, you know, your boss or your parents or someone asks you to do something and you think it's stupid, this is dumb, this is not gonna work. But okay, it's like, okay, I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna make sure you know that how dumb this is so that when we get on the other side of it, I don't even have to look at you and say, I told you so. This is that moment where, master, I just need you to know, okay, we were out fishing all night last night and we didn't catch a thing. Do you know you can have some attitude and have faith? Do you know you can have doubt and have faith? There is no fish out there. This is going to be a big waste of time. But then Peter also said something that I find is so incredibly full of faith. Notice what Peter said. If you look at your verse, he said, but if you say so, I will let down the nets again. Can I just tell you, if you need a picture of faith, underline that in your Bible, write it down. What is faith? Faith is even if it doesn't feel right, even if it makes no sense, even if the timing doesn't make sense, even if I don't have the resource, faith is when you say to God, if you say so, I'll do it anyways. This doesn't make sense, but if you say so. In fact, I, I just, my whole goal in this series and, and even with this book I really want to reframe faith for many who follow Jesus. Because I've been around church long enough that faith has sometimes become very synonymous with something you believe or, or some type of way to get miracles. And we're going to talk about that in this series. But if I could just maybe peel back some of the layers and some of the things that have mystified faith, that's my goal. I, I want you to understand about faith in this story. Faith isn't believing that you will catch something. Faith is trusting Jesus enough to go fishing even when it doesn't make sense. Faith says, I don't know what's going to happen, but if you say so. See, a lot of times we think that faith is what ends up leading to the answered prayer. Faith is what ends up leading to the miracle. Faith is what ends up leading to the outcome that I so desire. But if I could tell you something new about faith, maybe you've never thought of, and that is this. Faith isn't tethered to a result. It's tethered to our obedience. Faith is not connected to the result. I know some of you are just trying to process this. It's not connected to the result. It's connected to our obedience. Jesus, when he invites people to follow him, he's not promising a life that is easy, a life that is comfortable, a life that will make you rich. No, 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 that's not. He's inviting you to step into a future that God wants you to create. And here's the thing. I think in today's world, especially in Western Christianity, we have reduced faith to a belief system. You ask people, do you have faith? Yeah, I believe in God. And that's a big question you ask. Do you believe in God? You believe God exists? That's a great question. It's something that we all wrestle with. But I would argue, and this, if you allowed me to do this, and I, I know I don't, I know I'm not bigger than all of the theologians and people that have defined faith over the years, but in my perspective in real life, is that I think we need to separate this idea of faith and belief. I, I understand there's an idea that. There, we need to believe in God and that we don't have all of the evidence that we want. We don't have all of the proof in front of us, but we still trust. I get all of that. 
But I think that it's also done us a great disservice to think that faith is the same thing as belief. By the way, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in his letter to the church, you know what he said? He said, guess what? I'm glad you believe in God. So do the demons. Well, I believe in God. I've got faith. That's great. What makes you any different from a demon? Well, I believe in God. That's wonderful. But what if I were to tell you that faith isn't about what you believe. It's about who you obey. Faith is not about what you believe. Well, I believe in God. No, it's about who you will obey. Because when Jesus invites us to follow him, he invites us to leave behind a safe, routine, boring life. To step into a life that's filled with uncertainty, that is filled with unknown, it's filled with mystery. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And oh, by the way, it takes faith. Well, I believe in God. Awesome. It's a great starting point. But my prayer is that you would actually begin to walk in faith. There's a difference. I've heard some people say this before, and I think I understand the sentiment. I don't know if you ever heard this, but faith moves the heart of God. If there's anything that moves God, it's faith. And so if you have faith, that'll move the heart of God. And you pray with faith, it'll move the heart of God to answer your prayers. And so we we connect this idea of faith being a belief in and, and sometimes, you know, it's kind of like if you have enough faith, and then I've struggled with that, because then I've prayed, you know, where you pray and you believe in and believe in and believe in, and I'm just, I'm trying so hard to not doubt, but then my prayer doesn't get answered, and then I get discouraged and think I must not have had enough faith or what's wrong with me, but I'm trying to remind you, faith is not tethered to a result. That, that's not it. You see, I actually don't think it's faith that moves the heart of God. I actually think the idea is that faith is supposed to move you and me into action, and that moves the heart of God. Faith doesn't move the heart of God. Faith should move us to act. And I think that moves the heart of God. Why? Because I see it all through Scripture. I see like the story of the widow in Zarephath that is running out of food. And she's about to prepare her last meal because of the drought. When the prophet Elijah came to her and said, hey, I'm hungry. Can you make me a meal first? She said, I don't have hardly enough to make food for me and my son. And then we're done. But if you say so, here we go again. And she made him a meal, and guess what? God supernaturally added supply to her and her son throughout the rest of the famine. What happened? She moved in action and moved the heart of God. I I just want you to see this because I feel like I've got to reframe faith for many of us. When I think about faith, I think about the woman that pushed through the crowd and broke every cultural rule just so she could touch the hem of Jesus' garment, thinking that if she touched Jesus, she might get healed. And guess what? The moment she touched Jesus, she was healed. And power went out from Jesus, and Jesus didn't even know it. He said, who touched me? Who touched me? Power went out from Well, faith moves the heart of God. Well, I don't know. Jesus didn't even know it. She touched him, and she was healed. But it moved him. Her faith moved him. He said, it's your faith. It's like Jesus when he saw four men who were digging a hole in the roof of a house where he was teaching so they could lower a man who was paralyzed right in front of him. And you know what Jesus said? Because of their faith, he ended up healing the man. 
See, faith doesn't move the heart of God. Faith should move you and me to actually step into something that we are not sure of. And when we are willing to do that because we trust God, that moves his heart. That's what stirs God to go, now I see your faith in action. And oh, by the way, if you follow Jesus long enough, you are going to have moments when he's going to jump into your boat. He jumped into Simon's boat. Listen to me. He'll jump into your boat. He jumped into mine numerous times. And it feels a lot like he begins to stir something inside of you. He begins to break your heart for something. He begins to put a longing inside of you for a different world. When you, when you see those who are hurting, when you see those who are far from God, when you say, he'll start to stir your heart. This is what happens when he jumps into your boat. And he'll start to prompt your heart. I want you to do something for me. It's great that we say, I believe something, but I think Jesus would rather say, I want you to do something. I want you to do something for me. And you'll probably think of every excuse and reason why you can't, because that's what we do. That's what fear does. Some of you probably have felt prompted to, you've been following Jesus for a long time, to invest in others, to help others in their faith journey. And there's so many ways you could do that. You could lead a circle. You could lead a small group. But every time an opportunity comes, you shy away because you think, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Listen, the response of faith is, even if I don't feel good enough, if you say so, God, I'll do it anyways. I know I should get baptized, and I had a moment, and I surrendered my life to him, but I'm just so nervous, and I want to do it in front of everybody else. I just don't think I can. If he said to do it, will you just do it, even if you're too worried about what will happen? See, see faith is that response that is scary. I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I know enough. How can one person make a difference? You see, that's how I felt. I felt that way in my life so many times. But here's what I would remind you in this moment for Peter. All he asked him to do was go fishing. All, he asked, all he'll ask you to do is do something that you can do, even if you feel like you can't. And so he does that. And this is what happens as they, as they wade out into the water and they throw the net, throws the net over the side of the boat. Look at what it says in verse six. It says, and this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. How rude of Jesus to ruin his nets. Don't they know that he needs those? The shout for help brought their partners and other boat, and soon both boats were so filled with fish, they were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. He said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught and as were the others with him. In other words, let me translate, I doubted him. You can have doubt and faith. I doubted him. Said his partners, James and Johns and the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. Let me translate, they doubted too. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, 
They left everything and they followed Jesus. I love this moment because Jesus didn't just fill the net. He didn't just fill a boat. He filled both boats so much that they were on the verge of sinking. And Peter's response is so, it's so good. It's so real. It's exactly how someone would respond that did not really believe that something was gonna happen, but went with it anyways. He said, oh, I'm a sinful man. He, in fact, one translation says he got down on his knees in the boat, in the middle of the lake, and he said, go away from me. In other words, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I love that, that, that just that one moment. Leave me. We're in the middle of the lake. Where do you expect Jesus to go? What, walk on water? Psh, yeah, right. You see, his doubt met Jesus' supernatural ability, and he felt like he wasn't worthy. And what I love in this moment is that Jesus gives Peter the ultimate invitation. You know what it was? Come follow me. Come follow me. Leave behind what you have trusted in and what you know, and come and follow me. It's the ultimate invitation that he gives to you and me. Now, what's crazy is that meant for Peter walking away from the biggest catch he had ever taken in. Him and his business partners just recorded the best day they've ever had, on track now to record the best quarter they've ever had, possibly the best year they've ever had. Their business has never had better prospects than it ever has in this one moment. And Jesus says, will you leave it all behind to follow me? Can I ask you a question? Who in their right mind would walk away from all that? What would cause somebody to walk away from all of that? Faith. Faith. That's what faith does. And and I think it's possible that so many of us have settled into a life where we're not living by faith anymore. I'm not saying that God is asking you all to leave your job and go into the ministry. Please, dear Lord, do not do that. The last thing we really need are everybody to say, I want to be a pastor. That's because it could be that God's purpose and the world that he wants you to create is exactly in the job that he has you in. It could be in the market. It could be in education. It could be in government. It could be in politics. It could be that God wants to use you and he wants you to create the world that does not exist, a world for him in that space. I'm reminded of what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11, verse 6. The writer of Hebrews said this, and it is impossible to please God without what? Would you all say it out loud? Without Okay, it wasn't up there. So help me out. It is impossible to please God without what? Without faith. Because anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. And you got, it's where you start. It's belief. And he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Not just believe, but actually go after him. Not just believe. See, here's the thing. So many of us have settled for a life where we impress others, but never please God. But if you want to please God, it's going to take some faith. It's going to take stepping into an unknown future that is scary and it is uncertain. And I don't know what's going to happen. Yes, and Jesus said, that's exactly the way I like it. 
I'm just asking, will you follow me? Follow me where? I don't know. I think about Peter and he walked away from that which he was using to feed his family, feed himself, build a business, build a brand. And it says he just walked away from it all to follow Jesus. He never even asked, where are we going? Because if he did, Jesus probably would have said, I don't know, the next town over. And for the next few years, Peter spent his life, what? Following Jesus into the unknown. Now here's what's so interesting about that. Here we are, some 2,000 years later, still telling the story of an obscure, blue-collar, brash fisherman from the Galilean region. Because Peter had a story worth telling. Because Peter stepped into the divine calling that God had in his life. And how did he do it? Because some of you are going, that seems so big, Pastor. Like, I don't know what God wants me to do. And, and it's just, it feels overwhelming. And I don't even know where to begin. And here's what I want you to hear. Here's what God will do. He will prompt your heart to do one little thing. How did Peter end up stepping into his future? One step at a time. What did Jesus do? He got into his boat and said, would you push me out to shore? I don't want to, but I can do that. When he was done, what did he ask him? Hey, can we go fishing out in the deep? I don't want to, but I can do that. And when he made such a catch and he came to the shore, Jesus said, will you follow me? I don't know if I want to, but I can do that. And here's what I've discovered in my life, my journey of following Jesus. It started with a really small decisions. I think sometimes we blow up faith to be this like big mysterious thing when what I've discovered was that one small thing that Jesus might ask you to do in life. See, he wants you to create the future that God intends for you. We're waiting for God to do it and God says, I'm waiting for you. Either life happens to you or it happens because of you. Well, no, God, God, yeah, I know. And he created you to create and then he stopped creating. Either life happens to you or it happens because of you. God's put inside of you what you need. The real question today, even as we begin this series, here's the question, will you leave your net? What's your net? What is your net? Will you leave your net? Again, that doesn't mean go in, to your boss's office tomorrow and put in your resignation. Don't do that. Not just because of this one message. You better read the book first before you do that. We'll cover all of that, okay? But leaving your net may not be leaving your job. It may not be leaving your school. It may not be, it might just be leaving the control that you have over your life and surrendering it to Jesus. It might be, see, Peter, when he left his net, I'm not talking about fishing nets. I'm talking about the safety net. That wasn't just his fishing net, that was a safety net. I don't know what your safety net is, but maybe as we begin, listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. We're gonna go on a journey together. You say, I don't even know where to begin. Maybe the first thing that God will prompt your heart, even right now in this moment today, will say, what is the thing that you have been holding on to, the safety net in your life that you have resisted giving up so that you can follow me? It could be with a relationship. It could be with your finances. It could be with your career. It could be with your spouse. It could be a change in your life that you have resisted. 
All I know is that we will never be able to follow Jesus and hold on to our safety net. Amen. Come on, would you all stand to your feet with me? I want in this moment for you to reflect on what your net is. What's your net? I want you to, with, with God in this moment, I want you to just bow your heads, just close your eyes, just have a, a, a peaceful moment with God, or maybe it's not peaceful because maybe he's arresting your heart right now. What is the thing that you have trusted in more than Jesus? What's the thing that has become the safety net in your life? That maybe right now in this moment, Jesus is asking you, will you give it up? Will you surrender it? It could be that your safety net has been you. As long as I'm in control of my life, as long as I get to call the shots, can I tell you the ultimate decision of faith is to say yes to following Jesus. And you can have doubts and you can say, I don't even know how this is gonna work. But you can also say yes if you say so. If you're calling me, I'm gonna go. And I just wonder maybe if there's someone or there's some of you here today or someone watching this right now that maybe the first step for you is to say yes to Jesus, to surrender your life to him. If that's you and that's your prayer today, I wanna invite you just to pray a simple prayer. See, this is where faith begins, to maybe say a prayer with me right now in your heart. You just say, Jesus, today, I walk away from my safety net to follow you. Today, I choose follow you. I give my life to you. Forgive me for being in control when I realized, Lord, you are the one who created me. And so in this moment today, I give my life to you. Thanks so much for tuning into this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.